You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. It's, it's fun to be able to just dig into the, the lives of kids. And in OSD, I, I think there, there's a, a little blurb in that where they say, we go where the kids are. And I think at the end of the day, like that, that for me, that's the heartbeat of, of YFC. And it's the heartbeat of my life is that I, I want to be where kids are. I want to go into those dark places where kids who are far from God, who are broken, who are looking for hope, who are looking for something bigger, something greater, have that opportunity to discover it. Uh, because, man, there's a lot of broken kids. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain in our community. And there's a lot of pain in the lives of people who don't know what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. And they're just, they're just struggling. They're drowning. And they're looking for someone just to throw them a lifeline. So, yeah, I love to jump out of the boat and get in the water and go get them. It's fun. Um, um, also, it's just as a, as a shameless plug, if you're interested in learning more about kind of the ministry that we do, we do have a, a table set out in the, in the, the hall. Um, with little, there's little booklets there that kind of give you the, the big full picture of the ministry, um, as well as just a little sign-up sheet. If you want to get together, I'd love to buy you some coffee, talk a little bit more about, about what we do, because um, I can talk to YFC all day. Um, so uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to share this morning. Uh, as Jesus mentioned, my name is Paul. And we, my, uh, my family and I moved to Mason City, uh, I think it was about six years ago, specifically to come work for, for YFC. Um, if you know our ministry director, his name is Nick Kamak. Nick and I have been good friends for a long time, and when he was going to be transitioning to his ministry director role, he gave me a call to see if I was interested in coming down, and then I turned him down, and then, then things changed, and then, and then I called him back and changed my mind. Uh, that's a whole other story we'll, we'll save for another day, but glad to be here. I'm excited about what God is doing in our community and in our ministry. Um, so if you don't know me and my family very well, that's okay. Uh, we do call Praise Community Church our home. Uh, most of you maybe don't recognize us because we're usually here second service uh, because we are sleeper inner kind of people. Um, I'm a big fan of getting up and staying in my pajamas and drinking coffee for an hour before I come to church. That's just how I get down. Um, so if you don't know us, uh, in this picture you will see my wife Jen up front. I don't, even, I don't think she's in here today. She was going to try to come to early service today, but uh, she didn't. That's okay. She'll be here later. Uh, you just track her down sometime. Just act like you know her and you guys have been friends for years. And it'll be totally not weird for her as a, as a good introvert. Uh, but there she is up front. Um, we've been, we'll, next week we'll be celebrating our 12th wedding anniversary. So hooray for us. There you go. I love, to, I love to pander for applause. I appreciate that. Um, right in, in the center, that's our daughter Haley. She's our oldest, just finishing up third grade at Jefferson, and then Levi's right next to her, and he just finished up first grade. And then right up uh, down in the, the front is Adam, who is 19 months old and climbs on literally everything, always. Uh, he, he just for he gave us our first uh, stitches in our family this the other day, so that was fun. That was my birthday present was, here are some stitches for my child. Um, but yeah, they are a ton of fun. We, we love being able to, to worship with you guys each week and be a part of this church. Uh, so yeah, couldn't, couldn't be more happy to be here. But I know in this room, I know that there is a lot of love for kids in this room. I know that I'm not the only person in this room who feels that, um, that desire to, to love students well. And I know that there are many of you who would say, yes, I have, I have had that opportunity to work with kids in a number of settings, maybe as a teacher, maybe as a Sunday school teacher, maybe as, as a children's pastor or a youth pastor, maybe they're... Maybe you've coached kids. 
there, there are a number of ways we can, we can work with kids. And so what I would love is if you are somebody in this room and you have had the opportunity to work with kids in any capacity, in any way at some point in your life, I'm going to ask you a question. And I would love you to just give some thought to this. As soon as you have an answer to this question, go ahead and throw your hands in the air because I really am curious how long it will take you to think of something. I want you to think of a story of a crazy or bizarre experience that you had with a kid. Something that was just, something said or done that was surprising, it was weird. That's like when you want to tell a crazy story about a kid, this is your go-to story. Hands up as soon as you think of one. Yep, that seems about right. Took about a second for people to think of one. Uh, because we've all got some, anybody who's ever worked with kids, we've all got those stories. We've all got those experiences that we have that are just bizarre. And you go, why would a kid think to do that? I had one of these a few weeks ago. Um, I wasn't going to share this, but it's too good not to share. I had, it was uh, one of our last nights of, of, of our club for the school year, and I had a student show up, uh, which I think he had, it was like, I think it was a French fry box from McDonald's, I think. And I didn't see it because I don't need these visual images, um, but inside this box was the head of a dead bird. How he got that, I don't know. Why he felt like this is something I should carry around and keep with me, again, I don't know. Um, trying to get in the head of an eighth grader is a, just a challenging thing. And so there's all these kids freaking out. He's got a dead bird's head. And I'm like, okay, everybody calm down. This is not the, not the biggest problem we've ever had. And I said some words I never thought would ever come out of my mouth. And if you ever work in, in youth ministry, especially with middle school, you will have a lot of experiences where you say things you never thought you would ever have to say. You can keep that dead bird's head. But it can't come into our building. It has to stay outside. So that was the world I was living in just a few weeks ago. So that's, and these are the things I get to, I get to, to deal with on a week-to-week -week basis, and they're a ton of fun. Uh, but I think if there's one experience I get to have every year that, for whatever reason, seems to leave me with lots of bizarre stories, it's when YFC, every year, we take kids to Valley Fair. This is a fun trip for us um, because we get the chance... Um, this, this, for, for kids who are leaving eighth grade and going into high school, this is kind of their entry into our high school ministry. We set this up specifically so they can have a full day just to get to know our high school leaders, to get to know older students who are going to be really hopefully some positive influences for them, give them kind of some space to, to kind of be themselves and get introduced to it. Um, and it's always been a bit of a mixed bag. For whatever reason, this has been the trip that when we take students on, crazy things tend to happen. And I don't really understand what it is about it. The first year we ever did this trip, we couldn't get our bus started to come home, and we ended up having to uh, f find uh, the cheapest hotel we could for 50 kids and crash for a night. <laughs> that was an interesting experience. A few, few years later, we had a student get, uh, get sick on a ride, and I'll spare you the details, but I will say we had to buy him an entire new outfit from the gift shop so he could get home that day. Um, and then last year happened, and I don't know if this was the worst one, but definitely for me, it was, it was different. Uh, we got through the, the, the first part of the day, and things were going great. As they always tend to start great. If they start bad, it's going to be a rough day. Uh, but things were going well. And we have students, uh, when it comes, comes to lunchtime, come to the bus out in the parking lot. We're going to set up a little like, picnic area. We'll do some sandwiches. Um, get out there whenever you're ready. Um, I think we, we picked a time, meet there at that time. 
So as any good youth leader, um, I had a backpack with me all day because as you know, when you're working with kids, they don't want to carry their own things. So you, of course, need to have your backpack to carry all their stuff because you're a good adult and you love kids and you care about them and the prize that they want at a carnival game. It matters. Uh, so I have my backpack and I have a couple of kids coming to the bus. Hey, Paul, I, I have some stuff I want to throw on the bus. I don't want to carry it around the rest of the day. Can you open it up for me? Sure. So I take my backpack off, open up the front pocket, fuddle around in there for a minute. Where are the keys? I know I put them in here. <laughs> Start looking around a little bit deeper. No, it's like they should be in here. Where'd they go? This isn't good. I know I put them in here. Look, look one more time. And now it's now I'm pulling everything out. I'm opening up the big pocket. I don't think I put them in the big pocket. But they've got to be somewhere, and I'm throwing everything out I can come up with because they've got to be in here somewhere. N no, nothing. I looked at our, our high school director, Katie. Katie, did you take the keys for the bus? No. Why would I do that? Good question. <laughs> Go to a few other volunteers. Hey, do you have those keys? I don't know where they are. No, and no, I don't have them. And I, can, I get a little bit of like... Paul, Paul has a reputation for being a little bit of a prankster. Uh, are you just messing with us right now? No, I'm not messing with you. I really don't know where the keys are. <laughs> Go to a few kids. Hey, did I give you the keys? Because I, I don't have them, and I feel like I should. Then I go back to the backpack again, and I look again and again and again and again and again, and they're not there. And I realize quite quickly, I have no idea where these things are. I've got 30 kids who need to get home tonight, and a bunch of adults who also want to get home and uh, want to see their wives and kids and, um, and sleep in their beds tonight. We already did this. We are stranded at Valley Fair and have to crash on a hotel thing. We're not doing that again. We did that once. I've got to find these keys. And I, and, I, and I keep looking, I keep looking, and the more I look, the more frustrated I get by this thing, and the more I start playing out all the scenarios of where could these things be, where could they have gone. And, and, you, and when, you, when you see it's not there, it's not where it's supposed to be, then you start thinking, well, where could it possibly have gone? And, the, and you start going into kind of some of the places in your mind. Did I drop these somewhere in this park? Because if I did, this is not me trying to find a needle in a haystack. This is me trying to find a needle in a stadium full of hay. <laughs> that's not good if that's what happened here. What else could have possibly happened? And I think, did someone steal the keys just to be funny? Or just to be mean? Because kids are mean sometimes. And kids do weird stuff because they think it's hilarious. Or they just feel like being a jerk that day. And I think, well, that's got to be it, right? A kid had to have taken these keys. <laughs> and so then I, in my desperation, decide, I, I, here's a kid I know. This kid 100% took these keys. And I go to this student and, and I completely just accuse this kid. I know it was you. I know you took them. Don't lie to me. Own it. Just man up and do it. I don't care. I just want them back. He did not take the keys. And I had to apologize repeatedly because I felt really, really bad because I love this kid. And it was not a great moment for me. But this day was, for me, was, it was a horrible experience for me because in that time and in that space, 
I felt so much desperation, and I felt so much powerlessness, and I felt so out of control of this whole situation. And honestly, the more I felt out of control of the situation, the more I felt out of control of my own emotions and in my own, my own thoughts. And I, and, I, and I got myself into this spot where I was not in a good place emotionally. I was not in a good place kind of mentally. Because one thing I needed, one thing I desperately needed in my life was missing and it was lost. And I don't know if you've ever lost anything of value, but it is a horrible, gut-wrenching experience. It causes you to feel completely powerless and completely helpless. If you've ever had your identity stolen, if you've ever lost a credit card, if you've ever lost a set of keys, if you've ever lost your cell phone, go a little bit more personally, if you've ever lost a loved one. We've all been in those, those spaces. And loss is a horrible and difficult thing because we don't have control over that loss. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a bit of a control freak, and when I don't have control over a situation, I freak out. I really, really deeply hate it. Is anybody else like that? You just, you cannot handle not being in control. It is a horrible, horrible, gut-wrenching thing. And that absence of control causes us often to go into what um, is commonly referred to as fight or flight mode, where our brains have this kind of this survival instinct in them that when, uh, when we feel attacked, when we feel uh, powerless, you're, you will either react in a way where you get aggressive and want to attack, or you will retreat and want to sit in the corner and cry. And we're all kind of wired a little bit differently in that way. But this, this fight or flight mode, I think God, God understands that. And God understands very much what it looks like to, to experience loss. It's something I think we, we can all relate with, and I think it's definitely something God can relate with. Because we all, we really, really want that safety, we really want that security that comes by knowing everything's okay. The end of that story goes, I did eventually find the keys. So, fun fact about my backpack, in the little pocket, inside the pocket is another pocket, which I knew was there. Inside that pocket is another pocket. I don't know who put that there. I don't know why that ever felt like I needed to know that that pocket existed, but somehow those keys fell into that secret pocket, and like eight hours later, I found them. And that's where they were the whole time. And it's remarkable, like, how all of a sudden everything was fine and everything was okay. But there's this, there's this desire we have for safety and for security and for comfort that when we know where our stuff is, we get to experience that. And we, we love to experience that safety, that, that comfort emotionally. We love to experience it mentally. We love to experience it very physically. Feels good to feel safe in our homes. But at the end of the day, we also desperately need safety and comfort and security spiritually. And God understands that, and God wants to offer that to us. And Jesus puts it pretty simply, I think, in, in Luke chapter 18. Um, I'm reading from the ESV, if you're a fan. If you're not, that's okay. I still love you. Uh, in verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? 
So here we have a God who deeply understands loss. He understands it not, not just in the way of like, oh, I see you lost something. I feel bad for you. God personally understands loss because in this parable, of course, God is the shepherd. And when Jesus is talking about the shepherd in this story, what he's not talking about is a hired hand. He's not talking about the person who is just looking out for the sheep so the person who owns this flock can go do other stuff or take a nap. The shepherd in this story has ownership. This is a, a person, these are his babies. These are his sheep. And he is so committed to the safety of these sheep, so committed to these things that he would choose, he would make the conscious choice to abandon 99 of them and risk those other 99 going lost, to risk those 99 getting killed or stolen, not being properly cared for. There's risk, there's major risk in abandoning those 99 to go after the one that is lost. But God sees that one that is lost and says, I have to go get him. This is not an optional thing for me. This is not something that I just do because I'm bored and don't know what else to do with my time. The shepherd feels compelled he feels called, he feels driven to go find the one who is lost, to go find the one who, does, who has lost its way, who does not know how to get back on its own. Don't lose sight of the end of, of verse 4 here. To go after the one that is lost until he finds it. This is not just God saying, I want to go get you. This is God saying, I will not stop until I find you. That's an important next step. That speaks a lot about the love that God has for us. It speaks a lot about the love that God has for all of us in this world, whether you are saved or lost. This to me is, is beautifully put uh, by, by a story that's often told by the president of Youth for Christ, uh, Dan Wolgamuth. If you've never got a chance to meet Dan, he's a fantastic leader, a great man of God. Uh, he was at our YC Comedy Cafe about a year ago, uh, if you got a chance to meet him. Um, Love Dan. He's the best. But Dan tells a story often of a, uh, a teenage girl who was involved in our juvenile justice ministry, um, incarcerated teenager. Um, a kid who obviously had, had been through a lot. You don't get incarcerated um, as a teenager without making a lot of really rough choices. Uh, this young lady, of course, had a lot, had a lot of brokenness, had a lot of, a lot of pain in her life. And was that... An, had an opportunity in her facility uh, to take communion. And the person who is serving communion that day, of course, does what we would always do in that space. You've got the, the body of, of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you, and over and over and over again. And we, we love saying that, and we all say amen, because, man, we love taking communion. Come on. But this young lady goes up to get take communion that day, and this person holds up the cracker, the body of Christ broken for you. For me? How's that for a response? A kid who would say, I'm too broken. I'm too far gone. I'm too screwed up. I'm not a perfect person. I'm not one of these good, all put together Christian people. For me? And then, of course, that response back, for you. That's how personal 
the shepherd's relationship is to the sheep. For you, for you, for you. Every single one of us is that special, is that important, is that meaningful to the Lord. That he would send his one and only son into this world for you. And he would do it for the one if it meant abandoning the 99. Jesus recognizes this again um, as he continues to, to go come on in the story. Because it's not just that God would, would go all the way and go get you. But look what happens afterwards. In verse 5, he says, When he's found that sheep, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there was more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. That's a pretty important, I think, final step to this thing, that God's love is not just, I'll go get you. God's love is not just, I'm going to go search for you until I find you. But God's love is, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go, 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 and when I find you, I'm going to, I'm going to get you, and we're going to have the party of the century. That there is that, that rejoicing that happens, that God is not just going after us just so we can say, hey, look what I did. But God is, he is excited and he is thrilled and he is on, he is like dancing on the ceiling every time somebody realizes their need for God. And, I, and I, at the end of the day, I, I can only imagine the, the mindset of the Lord when he's out there, he's searching, he's searching. Because I spent an afternoon freaking out about a set of keys. I couldn't, I couldn't have fun the rest of that day because I had no idea where these keys were. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no idea how this was going to go at the end. And I, and I can only imagine all the, all the emotions um, that God might experience as he continues to search and seek us out and track us down and bring us back. There, there, is, there, is, there is heartbreak there. There is compassion there. There is, there is sadness, I think, in that, that God would see us who are his loved kids made in his image. Whether we chose to walk away or whether we just never heard, just wander aimlessly on our own, not knowing what to do, not knowing where to go, not knowing who to cry out to for help. And God's sitting there looking and, and seeking us out. going, oh, 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 it's so obvious. I want to help you. Just, just come back. It seems so simple. And for God, it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable that one of his kids would wander off and just be gone. God is not okay with that reality. And so God goes out and he sends his one and only son into this world to die for our sins because he wants to fix what is broken. He wants to make right what has been made wrong. It's not okay for lost people to remain lost in God's eyes. God wants to seek and to save all of us. And, it's not, and Jesus recognizes that same thing. This is a not an unacceptable reality. We must find a way to fix this. And hopefully, you and I have a heart that is broken enough for lost people that we feel that same way. That when we have that person in our life, that we, we know the emptiness, we know the brokenness, we know the dysfunction, we know they are far from God, do we love them enough to really genuinely feel this is not okay? They need Jesus in their lives. In Matthew 9, 
Jesus says, says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he says to the, to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Jesus sees the brokenness. He sees the emptiness. He sees those of us who've got this big piece missing in our story. And is moved with compassion because of that. He's not moved with judging looks, with judging words, judging thoughts. He's not moved with a desire to fix people. He's not moved to say, I don't want to offend them by telling them that they need to change. I'm just going to leave them be. He's not moved to say, that's the pastor's job. He's moved with compassion. He wants people to experience a love that is deeper, that is greater than they could ever experience in their lives. So for you and for me, if you were here this morning and you were a follower of Christ, what do we do with that? I think it's a really easy thing to, to forget as, as someone who's been following Jesus a long time, to forget what it feels like to be lost. Spending my time with a bunch of crazy middle school kids all day, every day, I have to constantly try to get myself back in the headspace of what it felt like to be 13. What did it feel like to feel like everybody noticed me all the time and be really self-conscious and weird? What did it feel like to notice like some girl from across the room kind of looked at me once, so she clearly like has the hots for me now? Um, I'm constantly having to kind of remind myself of those kinds of things. And as followers of Christ, it's really, really easy to forget what it's like to be apart from Christ. Uh, there's a lot of studies out there that show that most Christians within a year of following Jesus will not have any more relationships with lost people. We spend a lot of time around each other as believers, which is a great thing because we need each other. We need that community and we need to build each other up. But when we get so insulated in our own worlds, we forget we forget a lot that there are still lost sheep out there wandering around, that the one is still out there somewhere. And it's easy to forget, and I, and I don't say that in a, in a condemning way. I think it's just the reality of, of being a Christian. We just, we, we get caught in our own world. And I think it's a really easy thing to be, be in a spot where you would say, God saved me. Like, story's, story's done. Like, it's over. But it's not. There's so much more. There's so much more to the story. And there's so much more that needs to take place. So I'm going to invite the worship team up as we, as we close. And I want, I want to invite you in to respond. And I think on your, on your build is it says, go get them. And that was originally, I think, where I wanted to kind of land. But I don't think I want to go there at this point. Oh, they're a little sheepy. Because we need to go. We need to reach the lost. But... But don't lose sight of what Jesus says here in Matthew 9. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Let's do the work in here first. 
before we go out there. Let's check our own, the status of our own hearts and our own souls before we would have the audacity to go to somebody else and ask them to change theirs. So I'll give you a few thoughts as we kind of close here today. How, how's your heart? How broken are you for the, for the lost? A lot of times we read the words of Jesus and we see suggestions. We ought to read the words of Jesus and see mandates. Amen. Evangelism is not an optional thing. Relationships with lost people is not an optional thing. This is a call. This is a mandate because this is how the gospel is spread. This is how the gospel is brought into this world. God has chosen to use us for better or worse in all the regrettable things we will say to a lost person at some point because we're going to say dumb things because that's what we do. But maybe it's not just about just spewing it out there. Maybe it's just about loving people well. Being filled with that compassion. Time and time and time again in the Gospels, we find Jesus weeping over people. Being interrupted by the, by the needs of others and having to stop whatever he's doing to, to deal with their stuff. And he was never in a hurry. He's never in a rush. So that's the first one. How... how how are you doing? Do you live and breathe? I need to get the gospel out there. And the second one would be this. I'm sure, I know, I know there are a lot of people in this room who have a lot of lost people in your world that you love and you care deeply for them and you want to see them find hope in Christ. What do you need to be doing? so that this person can see the love of Jesus, so that this person can experience that life-changing encounter with the Lord. And what I'm not talking about is looking for some like, sneaky way to sneak Jesus into your conversations. Um, if you're doing relationships with people, those things are going to happen naturally, and that's a good thing. And we love when we get those opportunities. But what are you doing in your relationships with lost people for them to go, holy cow, if this person loves me like that, God must love me a whole lot more. It's a, it's, a hard, it's a hard thing to kind of sift through because we get busy. And I think, we, I think honestly, like, when you don't see people who are far from God want to change, it's hard to want them to want to change. And I think over and over again, we as believers need to push pause and check ourselves and weep a little bit over the lost and weep a little bit over those who are far from God. I get the joy every week to share Jesus with a bunch of crazy kids and they're super fun. And I, and I would love to sit here and say like, yeah, here's a kid I got the chance to really sit there and lay out the gospel and then you're saying, oh yeah, I'm all in. But that doesn't work always, that doesn't always work that way. I had a student, he's been coming to, to campus life for quite a long time and when I met him, um, we have little kids in the room. Uh, I better not say any bad language. I won't. <laughs> I was just asking him about his family. Tell me about your family a little bit. And I asked him about his mom. Because I just, just get to know your stuff. And he had some really color, colorful words to say about his mother. <laughs> I was like, 
Wow, okay. You're getting real, really, really honest and really vulnerable. This kid's been through a lot. Life at home hasn't always been easy. He's, he's seen a lot of really difficult and painful things. And over the years, we've, we've spent a lot of time together just building a relationship. Here's a kid who's been labeled the bad kid. And I got to tell him, you're not a bad kid. And I don't think he is. I think he's a sweet kid. He's got a big heart. And whenever I tell him he's not a, he's not a bad kid, he gives me a look. Like, eh, you're just saying that. But I really believe it. Last summer, this, I took the student to camp. And we got a chance to, to talk one day. And really, like, hammer out, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to count that cost? What are you going to give up? And what are you going to gain? And he really ended with, I'm just not ready yet. I like, I like living life the way I do right now. I like making the choices I'm making right now. And he's, he's not always making the right, right decisions. Like, okay. I love you. And, and, all, and all I'm thinking in this moment is, you don't know what you're missing. But we're still hanging out all the time. We still see each other all the time. And we still talk about Jesus. And we still talk about life. And I'm still believing that there's going to come that day with this kid says yes. But I'm not called to make him say yes. I'm called to faithfully love him. So I want to pray. And as the worship team closes out here, take that time to reflect. <coughs> Say, Lord, what do, you need to, what do you need to do in me so that this kingdom could grow a little bit, so that one lost sheep could come home? Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.